Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is the Straight Up Breakdown podcast. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Tell it to me straight up. Hello, and welcome into the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast, proudly part of the Hill Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith, your, I I can't believe I'm about to say this, I finished a 10K uh, over the weekend, friend. Uh, today, I am joined by Hill Varsity Word Writer, who is looking in shock right now um, at seeing this. I think this is the first time he found that out, uh, Derek Peterson. Derek, thank you for being back on the show. How are you? It is not shock. It is, um, I'm, I'm very happy for you. Claps, slow claps. Well done. Claps. I'll, I'll take well it. Done. I'll take it. I don't think I can do a 10K right now. So good job. It was, it was a journey. <laughs> it was definitely a journey to figure it out. Like, it's funny because I really have not been like actually running all that long, um, to be totally honest, especially like distance running. My whole thing was, is I prefer doing like boot camps that involve some running or like hit classes just because the running would be hard and then over with, and then I could move on. Um, yeah. Distance running was really not my thing, but I found out through this whole process, the reason that distance running was not my thing is because A, I was running wearing the wrong shoes and B, my form was terrible. And so once I figured that out, I have a hell of a lot less pain um, trying to run and it thus made it a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, I imagine both of those things will make running less enjoyable. Um, I think I messed up my knee again after I got it fixed a long time ago, and I've just never gotten it fixed again. And so I don't run. I just hop on a treadmill and do incline walking for like 30 minutes at 12 incline. Which will get the job done too. Like, and what you will then emphasize Saves my knees. Yeah, because the way it part for <laughs> this, it sounds ridiculous now to say, but you'll understand, is that I used to prefer running at incline. Um, because it hurt my feet less. And it turns out that the reasons that was because I was striking weirdly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it probably did, didn't, doesn't look as badly as people are picturing it right now. You're probably like, how the hell is he running? Um, but, you know, nevertheless, it, it was painful um, in ways that it should not have been. Welcome to the Runner's High podcast, where we talk about <laughs> running form. Um, I mean, happy to have everyone here. Yeah, I don't know how we got there. I do, but maybe that could be a thing. The Runner's High Podcast. I like that you came up with that on the fly. Um, I did not have Derek on here today, though, to talk about running or the Runner's High or my terrible form. Um, but it, there's there's a lot happening. But the main thing here is Nebraska-Oklahoma played. Um, so I want to dive into Derek's brain uh, to find out all sorts of things about his thoughts uh, with this game. Now, each week we start off the show with, uh, with a segment, which is the mainstay uh, that we love around here called coach speak where we go over something that a coach player or a talking head said and then we give you the straight up breakdown of what they meant coach speak to real talk 
Now, this week comes courtesy of Nebraska quarterback Adrian Martinez, who had this to say after the game on Saturday when he was asked just kind of about his feelings after the game in which the team lost, but he played very well and they were close. He said, quote, you come to a school like Nebraska, you expect to win every game. Our guys aren't into moral victories. We want to win games. Simple as that. There are definitely a lot of positives to take away from today. We will do that once we watch the film. But at the end of the day, we lost the game. Derek, what does he mean? I think they're tired of these kinds of games. Like, is this now, because he was 12 and 20 coming into the season, so he'd be 14 and 22 right now at this he being, point? He being Frost? Frost. Yeah, because Adrian yeah, so, is less so, because he has, he's played, he's missed some games. So, like, give or take, like, Adrian has lost 20 games in his three and a quarter years at Nebraska, um, or three and a third, whatever it is now. Um they're t- like, like, I think they're tired of losing. And I, I suspect that this is the thing that we'll get into later in this podcast. The, uh, do you take a moral victory away from this or are we, are we past the point of those? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally think they are, they're past that point. I think specifically for somebody like Adrian, who is playing well, like, it's not like it was like two or three years ago where he was putting up numbers, but they weren't producing and, some of the efficiency stuff was like, well, maybe this is a little fool's gold. Like he's actually playing well mm-hmm. and has been playing well for the last few weeks. And they lost. Like he was the better quarterback. Spencer Rattler entered the season as a Heisman hopeful. And a lot of people thought that he was the favorite to win the Heisman and draft people said he was going to be the number one quarterback taken whenever he can go to the draft. And Adrian Martinez outplayed him on his home field last Saturday. Um and still lost. Like, I think that's hard. It's gotta be hard. Um, I think they're tired of like being in these situations where they do things well enough to have a chance, but do things poorly enough at other times to prevent them from actually getting to where they want to go because they're still not where they want to go. Like going on the road and not getting blasted by Oklahoma is not where they want to go. Like it's, it's further along from where they were, but it's still not where they want to be. And for a guy like Adrian, who has been around so long and played so much football at Nebraska. um, And I'm like speaking for him right now, which maybe I'm completely off base, but like, I don't know. I just think eventually that probably gets a little tiresome. I believe it was Deontay. I'm actually a spoiler alert recording this podcast from the uh, interview room that you guys see uh, that are listening to this as fans uh, each week where Scott Frost and other players and John Cook do their interviews. Um, I believe it was Deontay Williams actually in the hallway today said that they were tired of being close. I, I, someone else said that um, today. So you, you are in without, I'm assuming you have not heard that yet because um, it's only been a couple of hours since that was said. Um I, I do. I'm, I'm vibing with you on that. I do think that the players are tired of the almost and the if, if only for a couple of these things. And I do think that it, it hits differently when you are playing well. And the reason why I think that Williams um, matches up well with Adrian in this particular scenario is that that defense. It's frankly playing their asses off. I think that they're having a really, really good season. Um, 
And I, I think that we may get into this a little bit later too, but I also, as a side note, um, I'm tired of talking about the things that the defense is not doing, i.e. sacks. Like that conversation is, is starting to bug me because they figured out a way to get by and excel without that. But we'll come pick up, put a pin in that. We'll come back to that later. Um, but I do think that between the defense being frustrated and Adrian Martinez, who is tired of doing things well, but still losing, I do think that there's something to that. Um, especially given the way that that game ended up going down with where if you say it's so crazy to even think that this is how considering what the spread was that game that Nebraska a really had a chance to win at the end because they were and that's legit they had the ball at the end of the game um, to try to to do to drive but then, uh, by the way, the thing that was plaguing them all game is what ended up getting them in that end on that drive, which was offensive line play. And whether it was lack of protection or penalties, i.e. that first drive, that's one of those things that falls into the bucket of same old thing that we've seen over and over again. So that was one point. And then the other tier of the game that cost them the game, the special teams again, like it's, it's, it's just it has to be frustrating to see that. Yeah. And I think the point that you just made again, I think that's the reason you hear people like Adrian and Deontay say, yeah, we are tired of being close. We want to win games because it's not like it's, it's not like there's a moving target right now. Like it's the same thing that is costing them football games time after time, after time, they can't run the football. They don't have consistent line play and their special teams are a disaster. And it's so, I'm trying to think, and I don't even know if it's fair to be like which one of those is more frustrating. Um, but if I did have to pick one, it pro- I actually might pick the special teams, given how much talk there was in the, uh, on the offseason about, hey, we're starting practice with special teams and we're talking about it. And everybody, <laughs> like the smirk there, and everybody is doing, like everybody's focused on it. And we have this coach and that coach helping out with it. Like given all of that to see what special teams has been like um, has been really bad. Like it, you just can't, because it, it's one thing for special teams to just be a neutral for you to be something that doesn't win or lose you games. It's another thing for it to continue year after year to actively lose you games and to really be able to point to multiple games and say, yeah, special teams cost them that game. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many people saw this cause I'm pretty sure it was deleted, but a former special teamer, special teams stalwart guy <laughs> uh, tweeted some shade during the game. Yeah. Where he was like, yeah, special teams was never focused on, um, which for 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 someone that was as involved with that phase of the game as this particular individual was, um, that doesn't look good. <laughs> no. um, and like you look around college football and like the teams that win have a good quarterback, they can run the ball and they have good special teams. Nebraska has one of those three things. Yes. And it's the quarterback. Yeah, and the other two aren't all that close to being good, um, which is is really unfortunate because the, the one thing that I, I do feel, and this I think transitions nicely into what you suspected I wanted to get into with you, and I definitely do, which is the, the whole idea of the moral victory or what Nebraska can take away from this game. Let's break that down. Now I'm going to start with my take in which I kind of laid out in a piece on hailvarsity.com, which I said 
basically, listen, Nebraska, I think, does have a lot of things that they can build on from this game that were positives, um, even on offense. Um, but but in the end, you, can, you can't also say that without saying that the same old mistakes did plague them. And that's what's going to really be the key, not just to, you know, the next game against Michigan State, but really the entire tenure of this coaching staff. Like we are in that territory. Um, but I do think that there is a level of moral victory to take away from this game given how it how it unfolded, the type of team that you're playing, at least on paper, we can get into whether or not Oklahoma's overrated or not. Um, I don't think it matters for the purposes of this this particular discussion. Yeah, I mean, um, so we don't, we really hardly ever disagree on things. And I disagree <laughs> with you on this. Okay. Um, for, for a couple reasons. So this this game felt like a significant point in the, the tenure so far because it, it kind of felt like if you were like tracking reaction to it, people that were out on Scott Frost were like suddenly back in a little bit. And it was like, Oh, hold on. Oklahoma was a 22 and a half point favorite at home with a Heisman hopeful quarterback, number three team in the country and Nebraska only lost by seven had a chance to win at the end. Okay. I see growth. I see defensive growth. I see good quarterback play. I see things that I've been wanting to see. I'm back in. We see progress. And I and I get that. I understand that. I see that. And then there were people that had been optimists that were suddenly like, it's the same thing. It's the same thing over and over and over again. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And for me looking at this game, I think I kind of fall into the ladder. And part of that is Oklahoma related. Part of that is, is Nebraska related. The Oklahoma part first, um, Oklahoma has been favored by a combined 53 and a half points in the two FBS games that is played now. So Nebraska and Tulane, 53 and a half points. They've been favored by combined. They've won those two games by a combined 12 points. That's 41 left on the table. Um, I've already said, I thought Adrian Martinez outplayed Spencer Rattler. I'm not all that impressed with Spencer Rattler through the first three weeks. Um, I think Oklahoma looked overrated to me. They, it seemed like this was a team that was the third ranked team in the country and not anywhere close to being the third best team in the country. And so that's part of it. Like part of it is like, I could get really, really excited about Nebraska only losing by seven to Oklahoma because we were expecting, and I was expecting Nebraska to not be close in the fourth quarter. And it was, so that that's a, that's a, a point of progress for them. And certainly something that they should feel good about because they played well in, in certain respects, Adrian, particularly the defense played really, really well. Um, but like, it's the same stuff. I can't, I, I, I don't, I don't know how to explain what's going on with special teams. I can't put, I can't wrap my brain around the special team situation. I just don't, if, if you, if you're saying that it's valued and you're doing all of these things in practice, why has there been no change? Why it, there has been, and that's speaking in absolutes. Um, it, it seems like there are still, disaster situations on special teams when really like 
you shouldn't have those. Yeah, we we, uh, we like <laughs> term it on the side, like inventing ways to give up points or to lose games. That's what we talk about. Like it's it's a weird thing that happens to Nebraska where like one of your linemen just gets absolutely blown up to the point to where the ball gets like hit into them and blocked. And then the, the other team picks it up and runs it all the way. Back well, so that's where like, I'm going next. That's that where I'm going ever next. Happen? Like how often has that ever happened? I don't want to pick on that specific player, but that guy was replaced for this Oklahoma game because through the first three weeks of his season, he, he was consistently getting beat or consistently putting bad tape out there. And the guy that replaced him was the guy that he replaced a year ago because that guy was consistently getting (laughs) beat. And then the replacement, he's a guard. He's not a tackle. He's not used to being in space. But like the play where somebody was coming stunting around uh, from, it was Hickson's right. Yeah. coming through the middle of the line and Hickson just completely whiffed on the block, completely missed him and pancaked his own lineman. Um, it, it looked like I, like I saw it all over social media. Like it looked yeah. bad. They're supposed to be athletic. That didn't look athletic at all. They're supposed to be, we were told they were going to be the strength of the team, the offensive line. Yeah. And every single one of them had a penalty called on them. Jurgens had two extracurricular penalties called on him. And the second one wasn't a penalty. I, I get that. it wasn't a, it was a dumb flag. I, I understand that. But after you have one, you're on thin ice. And his yeah, explanation after the game seemed to display that he either didn't care about that or doesn't think that's the case. I don't, I don't know. The offensive line has been problematic. Um, A buddy of mine was texting me Thursday night last week as they were watching the Nebraska Buffalo game. And I was just getting like clip after clip, after clip, after clip into my, my inbox of pointing at a lineman, watching him get bull rushed off the ball. And then again and again and again, and then looking at another lineman, watching him get beat again and again and again, and then looking at another line and watch the offensive line hasn't been good. And like, this is kind of emblematic of, of Nebraska's offense for the last four years, because they've looked um, good on paper. And when you look at some of the advanced analytics, they look good. So like some of the advanced stuff right now, if you look at Nebraska's offensive line, like line yards with uh, footballoutsiders.com, mm-hmm. um, basically like how many yards rushing does the offensive line open up? Right. Nebraska is like in the forties nationally, which is above average, but there's also, you know, I don't know how useful it, some of the advanced analytics are right now. I was reading that um, like ESPN and NCAA's uh, play database is wonky and missing plays. So some of the per play stuff is going to be super flawed and not usable right, right now. No, I don't know if that influences football outsiders data. I don't know where they get their information from. Um, but that's out there, but this is like, they look good on paper and then you watch them and they don't look good when you watch them and they don't look consistent. And like Nebraska has an inability to run the football consistently, not Adrian Martinez scrambling off of broken pass plays, but run the football with running backs. And this dates back to when Divino Zibo left Maurice Washington was fine, 
but he couldn't run within the structure of what he was supposed to do on any given play. He would always bounce things outside and he would make things work because he was just supremely athletic. Um, Diedrich Mills didn't know when he was getting the ball, didn't know when he was going to be running and then wasn't consistent with it. And the offensive line wasn't consistent with it. And they haven't been consistent through these three games. It's just, we have reached a, I wonder if we have reached a point where suddenly the answer you are looking for is in the question. Like if we're constantly asking, well, what are they going to do to get this fixed? What needs to, to fix this? Wouldn't the answer just be like, they're not going to get it fixed because they keep trying and they keep not doing it. Yeah. This is where I actually get where I get concerned um, when Scott Frost is asked about fixing these things and he, his answer is we're just going to double down. Um, we're going to try harder. It's variations of that. Those are the things that make me nervous and make me lean towards what you're saying, which is it won't be fixed because it, there doesn't seem to be, I don't want to say a, an acknowledgement of the problem because I think that they understand that, Hey, we need to be able to rush the ball or, Hey, we can't have special teams costing us games or what have you, but what are you really doing to fix it? Right. <laughs> and again, yeah. at, at some point, you know, talking about special teams obviously has not done the job. It's just saying that it's going to be better. Um, Whatever is happening with the offensive line and the offensive line is such a mystery because what you laid out is, is all true. But the most concerning thing, honestly, about what you just said is that each offensive lineman has basically taken turns either whiffing on blocks, getting penalties, being out of position, whatever. Um, and I think that Nebraska's offensive line, and I've talked, to this, talked about this with a couple of different people, and no one has a great answer for this. Um, the amount of times that they just miss blocks yeah, which I don't know what to attribute that to. I do not. I can't really say, okay, well, that guy's just not very good, or he's not coached up well, or whatever. Like I don't know what to do with that. But the amount of times that that happens is way, way too high. <laughs> like it just happens yeah. consistently now, every game, especially this season. Um, and I don't know if maybe we just weren't noticing it in previous seasons, but it feels like that's been a real thing this year um, with guys just totally not hitting anyone. And like the offensive line is is young in terms of playing experience, and Frost continues to kind of lean on that and say, "Well, we're, we're young on the offensive line." They are young at left tackle. Sichterman's been in the program forever. Hickson's been in the program a long time. This is Jurgen's what fourth year, third or fourth year. He's been in the program a long time. Um, yeah, because he was part of Frost's first recruit. So this is his fourth year, first recruiting class. Now he was injured the first year, but still, he's been around in the program for a long time. Um, Ben Hart is in his third, third year, third year. Um, it, it's just, yeah, I don't like the young thing. Kind I'm, of not young. With the, I'm not with the young thing. I'm just going to, I don't, I'm not, yeah, but, but put an asterisk on yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. We have to explain that a little bit. Once you, once and like, you say it. to be fair, I'm not, I'm not out on frost or Nebraska. Like I'm not at the, like I was talking about, like it's at some point, maybe the, answer is just the question it's not going to get fixed i'm not at that point yet but like frost is now zero and eight against ranked opponents at nebraska and he's going to play they're going to play michigan state this weekend in east lansing it's going to be a night game that'll be a good atmosphere at east lansing they're that team is ranked again mel tucker has them hitting and looking good (laughs) does 
that's like, that's suddenly a, if you want to feel good about what happened at Oklahoma and you want to feel like that was a step in the right direction, you have to win that Michigan state game. Because if you don't win the Michigan state game for any reason, it doesn't, it doesn't, the Oklahoma game doesn't look as good. Then it just looks like just another game in the loss column that, that they've had a bunch of. If you win the Michigan state game, then you can say, Hey, yeah, that was a turning point. That was a turning point for us. We didn't flinch. We took their shot, didn't flinch, and then we bounced right back because we had some confidence. And if they beat Michigan State on the road, that'll be a big-time win. I know a lot of people were um, pretty down on Michigan State coming into the year, but I thought that was going to be a good team. Now, it's been a better team than I think anybody kind of thought that they would be. So if, if Nebraska can get a win on the road against Michigan State, that'll be a big deal for them. But they're at the point where it feels like they have to get a win against Michigan State. Oh, absolutely. I'm not, I, I don't – I'm not sure that you like I, you said it was a big game. I think that and it's funny because like defensive coordinator Eric Chandler has said this a couple of times now, where like and during press conferences where you know every game is the biggest game of the season and whichever one the next one is is the biggest game, and that's great for a coach to say. Coach speak. Shout out to the segment. But th- this game coming up, it, it really is the biggest game for them. Like I really believe because of a lot of things that you said about it can either validate or invalidate what people think about the Oklahoma game, but also let's be real. They are now two and two on the season heading into now the bulk of conference play. If you lose this game to go to two and three, you're likely, if you just go by Vegas odds favored, you maybe are favored in one more game, the Purdue game. Um, for the rest of the season, you're maybe. either it may be because you you may be still at a pick them maybe or a three point, you know, favorite at home the following week against Northwestern. That that is the one, though, that, of those of remaining games that you. Yeah, would they'll beat Northwestern. If they don't beat Northwestern, then we have a different discussion on our hands that that Northwestern team is bad. Yeah, but if you don't beat Michigan State, I think then you start to say, then you know what the the storyline would be if Nebraska goes out to Michigan State and loses, especially if it's not, if it ends up like, say, double digits, it's, oh, is, it, is the team going to pack it in? That becomes, because I think, I think it's going to happen quickly with that, if that's the case, um, because you have had that feeling of being so hyped up for the Oklahoma game then you're like, okay, we're going to go prove it. We're going to prove that that wasn't a fluke against Michigan State. It's a good team. Our first opportunity under Coach Frost to go out there and take down a ranked opponent, we lay another egg. Is this ever going to happen? Because I think that there's something – then I think there's something psychologically that trips that says, okay, we actually have been working really hard. We're working harder than we have before, but it's still not happening for us. How in the world do we make this happen? And that's where I think you get in the danger zone because you get into these situations where you're playing all these games in the conference where anyone can beat anyone. And in fact, some of these teams, you've had a hard time beating previous years anyway. Like, I just think that that could go really badly if they lose this Michigan State game. I think it's a a monumental game this weekend. A few things. It could go that way. I don't think they're going to get blown out by Michigan State. I don't think that either. I mean, for the record, I don't think that that's what's going to happen. I don't. I don't think anyone. I well, I don't know if I can. I don't. I don't think I can say that. Um, there's no way they're losing to Northwestern. Like you're like anybody in the Big Ten can beat anybody any given week. Northwestern cannot beat anybody. Man, we watched that is a bad football team. 
But we, okay, so is Illinois. <laughs> a bad football team. That's true. We watched that's, them beat Nebraska fair. in week one. We've seen some, bad, like, um, oh, but like, I, which year was it that Purdue beat Nebraska without Rondell Moore? Um, we've seen that happen. Like, there's been some. That was two years ago, 2019? Yeah, I believe that's two years. Yeah, because last year was the year that JoJo Doman covered him very well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was two, two yeah. years ago. Like, we've seen some uh, some weird stuff, man. <laughs> we've seen some stuff. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something else. I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, the, um, the, the thing uh, from Chenander where he says, like, the next game is the biggest game. Like, that is definitely coach speak, but that's also their reality right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which is Definitely. which is remarkable. Um, and, and the last thing that I will say about moral victories, because then I want to give some some praise to the defense. We're in year four. So you're with me because I and I'm glad you brought that back up because I, I actually wrote this down and then moved on that. I think that what I'm hearing from you is if that loss came in year one, it would be more acceptable as a moral victory than happening in year four or year two. Yeah. If this game, if this is how the Michigan game in year one went, you would feel better about it being a moral victory. Or year three. It just feels like it, it, this is what it kind of feels like right now. It kind of feels like whatever step or phase or rung of the ladder or portion of the rebuild you want to call whatever Nebraska's in right now, it feels like they're trapped in it and can't move past it. It feels like we've been in the same portion of the rebuild for too long for longer than should be the case um and i don't really know why that is or what to do with it but that's that's kind of the vibe that i get and that is with a defense that has made tremendous strides yeah absolutely every year and i feel like the I feel like now, and, and I've been thinking about this too, because I think about it obviously from a recruiting perspective of like being able to sell things on the recruiting trail. Now every team basically needs that. And I think that Nebraska's defense, and that being the identity of the program right now, kind of by force because they've been so much better than the offense, is something that you can sell. And it's something that I, I feel like, I feel like when I turn on Nebraska now, I kind of understand what I'm going to see from the defense. Like, and that's a good thing. And, and it's also positive. I, I, I know what I'm going to see in a positive way, I should say, from the defense. I know what I'm going to see from special teams, but that ain't necessarily positive. Um, and so that's a really good thing. But on a week-to-week basis, I feel like they're fairly consistent um, in what we're going to see. And I think that that's great. I think that, again, it's odd in a way, because it's not nearly what we thought we'd be talking about in Scott Frost's fourth year. But I do think that that defense has been really, really good. And this brings me back to the point that I teased earlier about, I, I still think that there's a little too much focus on what this defense is not right now versus what they are. I think that they are very, very good. And, but they do not obviously do not currently have a sack master on the defense. So when you just wreaking havoc, getting after the quarterback, causing negative plays, And so there's so much focus on that because that's how people can wrap their minds around good defensive football. But somehow they figured out a way to continue to keep this thing pushing without having that in their defense. And and unfortunately and honestly, I think the part of the reason why they figured it out is because they haven't had it for so long that they had to figure it out. (laughs) This is how I honestly think that came to be. To be fair, it's a stopgap because they have to find that kind of guy. 
So like, yeah, eventually, they if they were to ever get to the defense, yeah. they truly want to be, yeah, they're going to have to have that guy because they would never be able to. Now, this is a long way off, but they would not be, I don't think, be able to win championships without that. I think you would have to have that element. Now, again, hear me when I say this, they're a long way away from that, but that yeah. being the ultimate goal, you would have to have that. Yeah, they and, and so um, getting to the quarterback for sacks and then creating turnovers – are, are kind of the two things that you look at. They're going to give up a couple of third downs, apparently <laughs> give up some third. Yeah, and if they can get themselves um, in the third and 17, but still give them up every once in a while. Yeah. That's but here's, here's this hypothetical for you. It is 20. It is December of 2017. Scott Frost has just stepped off the plane in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yep. I come to you and I say, look at the calendar for 2021. Mm-hmm. That'll be Scott Frost's fourth year. Lincoln Riley is still going to be at Oklahoma. Oklahoma is still going to be very good. They're going to be one of the best teams in the country. One of the the highest ranked teams in the country. Nebraska is going to hold them to 23 points. What would you say? What would you, what would you think the result of that game would be? Oh, I would have thought Nebraska destroyed them. If you told me that they had at that point, that day that he stepped off the plane, you told me they hold them to 23 points. They've probably won like 50 to 23 is honestly what I would have thought that now Nebraska is okay. If Oklahoma is ranked third, Nebraska is right in that mix. Nebraska's second. Yeah. 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 So I I looked this up Saturday night. So um, dating back to 2013, Oklahoma had lost eight straight games in which it had been held to 24 points or less. Eight, eight straight dating back to 2013. So from 2013 to 2016, they lost eight straight games. And the 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 two in 2013 or at the end of the season, they had two wins at the beginning of the season. 2013 to 2016, they lost eight straight games in which they were held at 24 points or fewer. For the 2017 season, Lincoln Riley took over as a head coach. Bob Stoops retired. He had never been held below 27 points. A Lincoln Riley coached Sooners team had never been held below 27 points. And that includes playoff games, college football playoff games. Nebraska held them to 23. And they did it in a way that looked very Big Ten-esque. A lot of people have said that. I think it's appropriate. Nebraska looked like a Big Ten team, and they turned that into a Big Ten game, and it made Oklahoma uncomfortable. And that's a good sign. That's a really good sign. That's a good sign, yeah. Like, it has taken taken Frost a long time to get his team to this place, but this is where he wanted to get them to. And he he had a long way to go, and in, in a lot of respects, we're there. They look like a Big Ten team, and that's a good thing. Um, but they scored 16 points, and that was the ninth time under Frost in his 36 games that they have been held under 20 points, at 20 points or below 20 points, which what, is like a quarter of their games for for this offensive system and, and what it was supposed to be. Um, I, you know, it's, it's just something that is. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens in East Lansing. Things are going to get weird in East Lansing. I feel like things are going to get weird. One of my favorite college towns. Um, but yes, things things are definitely going to get weird. Now every week we end the show with a segment that we call "Put Them on Blast," where we basically put them on put someone on blast for something that they did or said. Put them on blast. Um, 
<laughs> Today, I'm going with a repeat because I saw this thing coming. I saw it coming a mile away when the NFL put in that stupid taunting penalty enforcement thing that they wanted to do, that this was going to get out of hand and we were going to have all these silly plays. Now, I, I turn on, I barely turned it on. I saw some NFL yesterday. Um, we record this on a Monday. Saw some NFL on Sunday, and guys are getting flagged for doing the no fly zone. Um, we're seeing just flags on flags on flags for celebrations. And I, I want to know, like, and I don't know, and maybe I, I missed it. Usually, at some point after the fact, like the behind the scenes details comes out on who exactly wanted this and why exactly this has to be a thing. Because I need to know, like, why does this need to be a thing? Because I, I couldn't, I could, no one on my timeline yesterday was saying, <laughs> yeah, they got them. Like, get the, get those no-fly zone penalties uh, rolling. Like, we don't want to see that garbage. Like, no one's saying that. Like, I just don't understand why this has to be something that the NFL is doing. It brings back the old no-fun league thing that they had in full force before they kind of laxed the, cel- the touchdown celebration stuff. Thought they were going in the right direction on that. They are not. These uh, celebration penalties are the absolute worst. The NFL, the refs, everybody involved in this has to go on blast. You have joined my side. I think taunting penalties in sports are stupid. Oh, they're dumb. We should not have them. Especially at the professional level. At at any level. We should not have them. Taunt. (laughs) Talk your smack. If you, we, we have the greatest athletes in the world. And we are like pounding into their brains that they have to be the most competitive person on the field or on the court or whatever. Yep. On the pitch. Don't flag them for taunting. <laughs> right. Come on. It's dumb. Um, can I put a thing on blast? Not necessarily a person. Can I put you a can, thing on you blast? You can put whatever you want on blast, our friend. I would like to put old age on blast because <laughs> not see that coming. I should not be old. But I have become my father in one very disappointing aspect. So like Thanksgiving, Christmas trips, my dad and his dad after lunch would just be passed out in the recliners. They take a a midday nap. If I have a big lunch, I have to nap afterwards. It's dumb. So Saturday, I had a big lunch and then I napped after Alabama went up 21 to three on Florida. And then I wake up. And it's 31 to 23. I'm like, I missed the best part of the game. What happened here? So I need to put old age on blast because I am too young to have to take midday naps on a Saturday. And I am not okay with missing key parts of big football games. The number one team in the country almost lost. And I missed half of the drama surrounding that. And for that, I need to put old age on blast. I feel like that has to be in the Hall of Fame of Blast on this show. Um, uh, Sasha, who is so graciously producing this, save that, please. Um, Rack him. Uh, Because old age going on Blast is a plot twist I did not see coming today. Uh, But there are a lot of people out there that can empathize with that because I'm with you. Um, Naps after big meals happen a lot more frequently than they should uh, at this point. It's funny. You used to make fun of those guys for having to do that. Um, Like, what was wrong with you? And now it's definitely it, it catches up to you it definitely does That's and i'm still a child if dustin listens to this he's going to text me and tell me that i'm still a child and so i shouldn't be complaining about old age i'm too oh, young your too back young, hurt too? your back hurt my back does hurt actually okay. and my For hips no hurt reason. and my anything. knees hurt yeah no i went to the gym before this podcast oh look so. at you 
is probably poor form to, to bring it all the way back around to the way we open this podcast, poor form. That, that's fine. And now I have to make a decision if poor form or runner's high is going to be the title of this podcast. <laughs> so I'm leaning towards runner's high. And that'll do it uh, for today's podcast. Subscribe to the podcast everywhere you listen to them. Rate us. Leave us a five-star review if you leave for. I'm inclined to think you're a hater and nobody wants that. Uh, make sure that you are checking out the other podcasts on the Hale Varsity Network, the Mind Your Own Podcast, the Varsity Club, um, Nebraska Preps Post Game Show, and the Hale Varsity Radio Show. Also, check out the Hale Varsity YouTube page. I'm back on there for the recruiting question of the week video with Aaron Sorensen. And you can find us on Twitter at Greg Smith HV and at Dr. PDHV. You can email the show at straight up breakdown at hailvarsity.com. I will catch you next week. A Media Production.